0: Lumpur Chah used to say that the practice of sila is that mode of practice that brings you to focus your mind on your meditation object. Meaning that the training we do, following the Vinaya, the Korwat, all the monastic practices, trainings, rules, regulations, is all supportive of our practice of meditation. They're not separate it's not an obstruction to the practice of meditation either. It's that which brings you to put your mind on the sensation of the in-breath and the out-breath, if that's your meditation object. Keeping the Vinaya doesn't interrupt or take our minds away from the practice of meditation. Training our mind in the very qualities that will support meditation. So living with teachers like Lumpur Cha, the monks were trained in the practice of the Vinaya every day over and over again. It's the way monasteries such as this are run. We use the Vinaya. It becomes part of our lifestyle. But even when we leave the monastery, we take the Vinaya with us. The practice that we've learned, we can use them anywhere. the practice of Vinaya is training us in both mindfulness and wisdom. It's cultivating the sense of renunciation and letting go of renouncing our former habits of seeking pleasure and distraction in the world. And all the world has to offer. Cultivating mindfulness in daily life when we follow the rules we have to be mindful of the rules, what we're thinking, our intention, what we're doing at any one moment. We have to use wisdom to understand why we keep the rules, how to do it, how to apply them in different situations. So the Vinaya and the practice of developing samadhi, developing insight, samatha, vipassana, meditation, they're not mutually exclusive. They support each other. In simple terms, Lumbucha used to say things like, if you put effort into your duties, performing your duties following your duties, completing them as a monk. When you come to Zip meditation, your mind will settle down easily because you've done what you should have done. If you put effort into being mindful of your Vinaya training, you won't be arousing a lot of negative mind states or confusion, ill will, or greed. You've been doing the opposite. Through your day you'll already be practicing letting go of those more negative mind states. So if you come to sit meditation or walk meditation, then you're developing mindfulness in a more refined way. It's much easier. Because you've already been doing the groundwork, preparing yourself. And this is why the Vinaya training and the Kaurwata is emphasized so much. Because it's not separate from the meditation practice that we may have learnt prior to coming into the monastery or that we read about and aspire to cultivate states of samadhi and the experience of insight. Of course, as we do this, as we practice in the monastery, following the rules and the ways of training, then there's always resistance in the mind, distraction. Sometimes it's through our, because of our attitudes that we bring into the practice with us. Sometimes just facing suffering moment to moment or through our day. Sometimes even take it out on the practices, can't be bothered or don't want to do it. Sometimes it's just lapses of mindfulness. So you have to keep coming back to putting forth effort bringing up effort to follow the vinaya keep the core, what to support our meditation practice and we're developing those skills that we can use anywhere you know, mindfulness clear comprehension wise reflection and what we're doing what we're saying learning to review what we're doing, what we're saying, what we have done, what we have said. So we learn to understand clearly what is in line with Dhamma, Vinaya, and what is not. We learn clearly what are wholesome mind states, and what are unwholesome mind states, through the practice of (coughs) the Vinaya on a daily basis. Often in the beginning of the practice, we find it inconvenient. We don't like to have to stop and check ourselves and review what we're saying, what we're doing. Because we're used to just going here and there, going about our business. But now we have to make sure what we're doing is in line with the Vinaya. It's not always convenient. Sometimes we're concerned about what other people think of us. Sometimes we have regret or doubt coming up in our mind, which is, kind of plagues us, takes away our peace. Sometimes there's just a lot to remember. You have to remember times or certain practices, certain ways of doing things. Or just remember to be mindful when we're speaking, when we're doing things. And because we're new, it seems like there's a lot to learn. It can be complicated. The only way to get through that is to just keep practicing. So the only way to get through doubt about the practice, and doubt whether we can do it, or whether it will really bring us peace and understanding that we want, is to do it. Keep practicing, and over time, you'll see changes occur, sometimes very subtly and slowly, sometimes more dramatic. But sooner or later you'll be able to look back and see that changes have occurred through the practice, through the training. Probably in the long term the most obvious changes that occur, the ability for the mind to settle down and be more steady, more content and composed within itself through the practice, as a result of the practice and the training in Vinaya and in meditation. If we're establishing right view on a daily basis, and it's just natural that the mind will s- start to associate more closely with the Dhamma, with wholesome mind states, and the ability to reflect on what's going on, the mental processes, particularly where suffering is arising, what's causing it. We'll be able to do that in a, a more efficient way, an unbiased way over time, and that will help set aside some of our doubts, because we'll understand clearly for ourselves how this mind works. And even if we can't free it from suffering yet, at least we can have some insight into the process, which suffering, ar- where suffering arises and how, and not feel like we're just a victim of moods and unpleasant mental states, rather we actually have a method to deal with them, a way to practice to bring out mindfulness, a way to reflect with wisdom. We keep putting effort into the practice and learning the skills of a monk. Keeping the Vinaya, learning the ways to meditate, listening to Dhamma, sometimes reading Dhamma. So we absorb information and reflect on it. And it naturally is gonna have a good effect on the mind. But we have to give it the time Put in the effort and be patient with our own character and our own particular personality. We have to be patient enough to give the practice time to start having an effect, a good effect. And used to say that he taught us to practice with our eyes open. Meaning, one of his uh, seemingly favorite subjects was talk about how monks like to, after they've been in the roads for a while, they always like to get the conditions and the situations that suits them. They're always trying to make their life and the monastery around them, or the people around them, suit what they like, what their particular habits are. Often you talk about the monks who like to go off into a cave, not have to be bothered with anything, or other people, get everything just how they like spend their time how they like, control the amount of people or interaction with people that they have, get everything just right, just how they like, so that they can feel more comfortable, more peaceful, and maybe temporarily can attain some more peaceful meditation states, deeper meditation states. It's not always wrong to do that. But it's more than an attitude thing. It's an attitude of seeing that as the only way to practice, so that we become attached to that one view, that one way of practice as the only being the only way. And then of course, every other way, every other situation that is not the same becomes wrong, or a cause for discontent, dissatisfaction to arise. They used to say the monk comes out of the cave and can't live anywhere else, can't mix with other monks again, can't move around, can't go places where there's more activity and so on. Become very attached to a certain set of conditions. He said we have to learn to practice with our eyes open, meaning Of course, we do have to develop mindfulness, develop samadhi, states of calm. But they have to be a foundation for contemplation. And we have to learn to contemplate in a variety of situations. It's the nature of existence that we can't control everything around us and make it just the way we want. It's impossible. We can certainly try. We can spend a whole lifetime trying. But in the end it's a fruitless exercise. Even in the most idyllic situation, in a cave or some quiet place that we found, sooner or later conditions change. Our support, the way we receive requisites, may change. Our health may change. The conditions in our cave may change. Many a monk has had found the perfect cave as long as it's dry and then the rain starts and it starts filling up with water. It's no longer so perfect. Your life is like that. So how do we deal with the changes in conditions, even to do with changes in monasteries, changes in living conditions? We have to keep falling back on this ability to contemplate practice with our eyes open. Our ability to contemplate, it relies on everything else that we've done before, so it does rely on our practice of Vinaya, personal discipline, training in the core what, relies on having listened to and reflected on Dhamma teachings, relies on having built up some strength of mindfulness, some ability to let go of distractions and worries and doubts, put effort into meditation, sitting and walking. All of this helps, but the aim is to provide a strong foundation so the mind can contemplate wherever we are, whatever our life throws up for us, confronts us with, whatever it confronts us with, we have to be able to contemplate. We can't always run away back to our cave or we can't always rely on getting the conditions the way things way thing, way we like things to be. We also have to have that adaptability, flexibility to deal with changing situations. At the very least we have to be able to deal with our ageing. With aging we get. Illness, aches and pains, can be quite limiting. You have to be able to deal with the changes of the world, material change, technology, physical change, and so on. All of that requires the ability to be able to contemplate. You might say, contemplate on the run. If different things arise, or how are you going to deal with them so that they don't overwhelm your mind? stimulate kilesa and throw you into a turmoil, a chaos of confusion, of suffering. It's that ability to contemplate is what we, in the end, what we have to rely on. But it's been cultivated and honed through the practice, the Vinaya training and the meditation training that we've done. Uh, next week we'll have uh, quite a few visiting senior Ajans coming. so there will be an opportunity to practice a Vata. Again, this is part of Vinaya training. So it's something Ajahn Chah emphasised in the practice, learning how to attend to senior monks. Look at that, contemplate that, if you're given, assigned a monk to look after. Or even if you're not, if there's just opportunities arising to provide assistance, practice a charyawata. And look at your state of mind as you do that, the attitudes you have towards it. Often when we're new to the practice, we have embarrassment or shyness, or feeling uncomfortable attending on a monk we don't know. Sometimes we might know what to do, but we just don't want to do it. We've got other things we'd rather do. Get on with some meditation practice, do some other project or whatever. We'll get a number of reactions coming up in the mind. Sometimes it's the character of the monk that you practice a charyawata with. Maybe at first we don't appreciate any particular good qualities in that monk, so don't want to spend time with them. All of this is food for contemplation. So your starting point is to remember this is something that the Buddha taught the practice of a charyawata. Many Vinaya training rules that come up with a charyawata. It's the practice of hospitality. It's something Buddhist monks have to learn how to be hospitable to visiting monks and particularly visiting senior monks. We have to develop Samma a respect, reverence for senior monks. Something the Buddha said we have to develop as monks. And it has a good effect on the mind. It's like all the other aspects of our sila. you practice a acaryawatta and you put effort into that, it clears away a certain amount of greed, hatred and delusion as you do it. So when you do come to practice more refined meditation, sitting, walking meditation, again often it's very, easy to become still and quiet in your meditation after having practiced a Charyawatta. Maybe physically you're a bit tired and you spent expended energy running around helping somebody else. But that can also have its good effect. And then there's other advantages. You hear Dhamma, you see, see other monks, how they practice, get a good example. You learn to give up some of your own more selfish interests when you practice a water. If you have nervousness or shyness around the practice of a water, then reflect on it in a less personal way. You know? We're just a bhikkhu in the Buddha's dispensation, practicing the Vinaya, which might mean helping or assisting an older or more senior monk. You take the sense of personal involvement out and just do it as a good job. Help another human being. Look after their needs. Maybe just reduce it down to a simple attitude of how can I help? Even if you don't know what to do, you just watch with the attitude of how can I help? It is very easy to practice a water. You see what they need, or if you're not sure, you just wait wait, watch, look, and then you learn. especially if they're senior monks who are teaching and doing, performing many duties in their own monasteries. And then when they come here, it's actually something very useful if they get assistance. They're not, they're not so weighed down. You take a, some of the weight off their shoulder. I remember looking after Ajahn Mahabhura many times when he came to Wapapong or other monasteries. Ma you know, he always kept his same old corwa and vinaya that he'd probably been doing since he was first year in the rain in the in the monkhood. You know, he looked after his bowl and his requisites, made sure they were folded neatly, put in place. when he left the monastery, he'd always say to me, if I was at the you make sure you clean up the bedding." It's one of our Vinaya rules, we have to clear away bedding that we've used. He'd always say that. Both to show that he was aware of the rule, wasn't just taking things for granted. But also he's using that situation to pass on a job to an attendant monk. This is all Vinaya, it's a very... When you see it, it's a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful way to live because it creates harmony. If a monk has a sense of responsibility, the teacher has a responsibility, the junior monk has a sense of responsibility. It brings up mindfulness, brings up wholesome dhammas. Obviously, if it's a senior teacher, you get the chance to listen to dhamma. They give reflections, tell you stories or sometimes they just have a peaceful presence. Any number of benefits from the practice of a jariyavata. I remember looking after Ajahn Chah, when we were on the night shift. Often it was quieter, no visitors. The monastery was quiet through the night. But still we had to turn Ajahn Chah's body when he was sleeping, turn him every hour or so, make sure he didn't get bed sores. You have to empty empty his urine bottle, administer medicine, check with him when he coughed and so on. Sometimes I counted, like in the course of one night, I might go and sit meditation for a little while when nothing was happening. Then something was happening, I'd go up, help Ajahn Chah, and go back to meditate. Could get up and go and do something and sit down again 50 times in a night, easily. Could never be take anything for granted and say, Oh, for the next hour I won't have to do anything. You never knew. Sometimes you had a long stretch and there's nothing to do. You could just quietly meditate on your own. Other times, constantly popping up, jumping up, walking into the room, or if you're in the room, walking over to Ajahn Chah, going away again, doing this, doing that. You never knew. But if you have the right attitude, you just make it part of the practice. Obviously, if you have the thought, I should be in a cave meditating, then it's going to be torture. But if you're practicing, just practicing mindfulness in a number of different postures, different situations, learning some skills, just learning about the situation you're in, contemplating the dhamma of it, there's not a problem. Everything becomes part of the practice when you contemplate like that. It doesn't necessarily have to interrupt the practice of samadhi either. You can be doing a job of work or assisting a senior monk. You don't have to talk a lot. You don't have to let your mind stray very far. You just quietly do your duty and maintain your meditation object at the same time. Maybe even being in the presence of another monk heightens our effort and our awareness, we try better, we try harder. One monk at Wabupong came and complained to Ajahn Chah, he said, There's so many duties here, I have to attend to the senior monk, I have to come to the evening chanting, I have to do the robe washing, I have to set up the sala for the morning, for the meal, so many duties, I never get the chance to meditate. in charge just said, all these duties you're talking about, they're all very wholesome acts of service. They're all very peaceful in themselves. What are you gonna do? You go back to your kuti with this negative state of mind, the complaining mind that you're bringing with you now. You're just gonna sit there, and turn your complaints to something else. You Might as well come and do these jobs, if they're necessary to do, Mm. only if they're necessary, and start giving up those negative states of mind. If we're honest, often, especially in the early years of our practice, it's like that. We have reactions to things, don't like this, don't want that. When am I going to be able to have time to do this, do that? It's all just kalesa. You go back to your kuti and you you get the conditions you want. It's, it's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. Kalesas are still there. it just change, change the object, change the, the focus of the kalesa from looking negatively at the monastery, or some other person around you, or some situation. It just change to something else. all of the practice that we're doing is strengthening the mind in various wholesome Dhammas, bringing up cultivating wholesome Dhammas, abandoning unwholesome Dhammas. Little by little we're gathering our mental energy inwards so that we can practice wherever we are, maintain the wholesome states of mind. The mindfulness, the samadhi, and the ability to contemplate, wherever. Sajjan so Chah used to say, standing, walking, sitting, lying down. Like that teaching uh, Lumpo gave. When you begin practice, mindfulness is very weak, and the mind always seems to be going out. It always seems to be like, it's miles away from you. Elsewhere, other places. Little by little, as you keep practicing, you're like gathering your mental energy inwards, turning your attention inwards, bringing up mindfulness. So at first it's like miles away, then it's maybe only one mile away. You keep practicing more, it's only half a mile away. It's a hundred meters away. And maybe only half a meter away. And then it's there, right there. Your mindfulness, your wisdom, and the presence of mind is right there in your body, in your canvas. It's not going anywhere else. Once samadhi is established, then it's there with you all the time. Even if you're busy, Yes, samadhi is still right there with you. You know every movement of the mind, every kilesa arises, you're seeing it. Yeah. Another thing Ajahn Chah said, if you're practicing and you get to that point where you're, you've been practicing mindfulness restraining your mind in the sila, pointing the mind to a meditation object. You get to that point of real frustration or exasperation where your, your mind's really craving to just to think about something else, maybe to indulge in a fantasy or have some kind of fun in some way. That's a good sign. It means you're practicing correctly when the mind really wants to desperately trying to get away it means you've really got it under control. If you're not experiencing that, maybe mindfulness is still a bit too loose, and samadhi is still a bit weak. It's quite normal if you're practicing, putting forth a lot of effort. You get to a point in your mind is just almost like it's crying out not to be in the present moment. It doesn't want to be there. It wants to be with mental proliferation. It wants to be creating moods, emotions, suffering in some way. When you contemplate back on that, if you've had that experience, you contemplate back, it's quite humorous. You see the mind is crying out for a bit of suffering. It's actually, you're practicing in the correct way, holding it in the present moment, practicing mindfulness, letting go of the distractions, the hindrances, the cases. But it's not satisfied. The power of craving and the conditioning process, it's just so strong. It just wants a bit of suffering. Even though it knows, you know it's suffering. Still it's nice just to let the mind go. And then we get depressed, because we let the mind go and look what happened. Ended up with suffering. If you get to that point, it's a good sign. It's a sign the mind is slowly but surely coming under your control. But it's very frustrating, until maybe at some point it calms down a bit. let go enough of enough kilesas that it does quieten down, it's achieve stillness more easily, and then maybe it's not so exasperating. But certainly in the beginning it will be like that. Practicing correctly leads to exasperation. It's just the voice of the kilesas. It's nothing very real, or solid. It's nothing very important that you have to believe in. So we have uh, a few weeks, where we're visiting monks coming. We have some more work to do preparing the monastery. We have duties to perform assisting those visiting monks, assisting the laity, the lay committee, setting up the monastery for the Katina. So it's a time to uh, be very patient, put forth effort, and hopefully it will also be an enjoyable time where we can hear some dhamma and uh, practice friendship with other members of the sangha. So for that tonight we'll leave the talk there and we can do some chanting.